best place to play fantasy football this summer is underdog fantasy their best ball mania tournament has 10 million in total prize money and the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it there's no waivers no trades no in-season management underdog gives you the best scores each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win the champion of best ball mania drafted in june so there's no time like the present to join underdog and take your shot at a million dollar draft Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to Underdog Fantasy or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. You can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. Mixing up the PFF's underscore first name convention here. I know. A rebel. A rebel. A man not to be reckoned with. Um, Let me get out some acknowledgments here before we start the podcast. This show up front is going to be power rankings on the NFL. I'm going to come at it from two different angles here. The first is looking at the cold, hard, I would say facts, but maybe not facts, but the cold, hard markets here, specifically betting markets, look ahead lines, and then deriving from those look ahead lines, how good you think a particular team is based upon it's basically working an algorithm where you see all the different teams versus all the other teams. And you're able to point out a, a situation, neutral team, neutral location, neutral, how many points you'd be favored against an average team for every single one of the teams on here. Some of them positive, the best teams in the league, some of them negative, the worst teams in the league and go through each of those dissect if those are appropriate or not, based upon numbers that I have, some numbers from last season, and maybe where we can find some value, some surprises, some consensus that may be off there with the power rankings. So that'll be the majority of the show, but that'll be the second half of the show. The first half, I wanted to hit on a one particular topic about the NFL player empowerment era, just because it's something that I think is getting miscast quite a bit in discussions about what's going to happen in the NFL. Now I'll just point to the most recent news about a player demanding a trade, although it seems like that has almost already gone by the wayside. And that is with Kareem Hunt and the Browns. He said he wanted to be compensated better. He wants more guarantees currently only has one year left on his contract, although he is earning $6 million this season. Some of it tied up in per game bonuses, but still that's a healthy number and it's somewhere in the top 15-ish sort of range in the NFL for how much cash someone's going to earn the season. So it's not as if he's not being paid, but he wants to get a little bit more security as someone as a top 10 running back and really that he just doesn't have any contractual guarantees beyond what he'll play out through this season. And next season, depending upon what happens with the Deshaun Watson suspension, if Watson is able to play this year, next season Watson's going to come in with a cap number that's in the neighborhood of 40 
million higher than his current cap number. So someone like Kareem Hunt would be presumably a very likely cap casualty in that manner. And then if he gets injured this season, if he has a catastrophic injury, he'll be someone who's in you know his late 20s without a contract. And that's why he wants to get some sort of security here. Well, he's already gone from holding into back to full practice. And I think the reason this was so illustrative to me to what the realities are of the quote unquote player empowerment era versus what some people's perceptions are is that players do not have any more power in their ability to enforce leverage on teams than they have in the past. They don't have more power now than they ever have in the past. In fact, they have less power now than they've had in the past because of the fact that the new CBA makes it extremely cost prohibitive to sit out training camp, to sit out preseason games, to sit out any games during the regular season. You're just not going to see that as much because the loss of guarantees, the loss of money, the loss of years of service are way too extreme now for players to realistically threaten that as part of their leverage. They can hold in as Hunt was hoping to do, but then that quickly reversed for, for most of the time. So then the question would be, but the reality when you're looking out there is players are being traded. These big wide receiver trades are happening. Tyreek Hill wants a big contract. He can't get it. He gets traded. AJ Brown wants a big contract. He can't get it. He gets traded. Other you know rumors out there about DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel potentially being traded, and they end up getting their big contracts. Everyone in that wide receiver market, Matthew Stafford got traded last offseason, and so on, Russell Wilson, and so on and so forth. So there would seem to be evidence of players having more power now than they have in the past to determine that. But I think it's misreading where the causation is coming from, from the fact that we're seeing more and more trades, player trades, big trader player trades now than we've ever seen in the NFL in the past. And what I would say is the real key here is team's willingness either to trade away a star player and work through different windows in the cap, thinking if they're in a window, potentially winning with a cap at a certain number, do they want a player? Do they not want a player? Certain teams like the Chiefs may decide, you know what, we're going to try to diversify our resources a bit here with Patrick Mahomes and his contract going way up while we're still within what will be a championship window almost for his entire contract. So something like that. So teams are more willing to trade away star players. And even more so, I think the, the causation is teams are willing to trade away picks for these players. These GMs now, a lot of them younger, a lot of them more adept at thinking about trade value and thinking about how you structure contracts, thinking about attacking, again, particular windows within a Super Bowl window for a team. Uh, they're more willing to trade away these picks. And I guess owners and others are probably more willing to allow them to trade away these picks than they have been in the past. So because of that, what we really have now and I'm going to frame this in a way of financial markets. I used to do some equity research and some uh, some debt research also in the past. And I think the best way to frame this is like a financial market. So this market here, the market for trading players now has more liquidity than it ever has in the past. And by liquidity, it means more buyers, more sellers. 
So again, what I was saying before, more teams who are willing to trade away these players, depending upon where they are in their cycles as they're going through, willing to trade away top tier talent, more teams willing to give away picks, more GMs willing to give away picks to these players and play that game. So when you have more buyers and you have more sellers together and you have more liquidity in any market, what you typically see is the differential between what people are asking for a player or trying to sell someone for versus what someone's trying to buy someone for. So what you would call the bid ask spread in a financial market, it, it narrows, it narrows, it comes together more and more, the more liquidity you have because teams are just more likely to have one team on one side. That's willing to match up with another team on the other side of a trade. If you have 10 different teams who are part of a market, 15 different teams who are part of a market as opposed to one, two or three. So just more often than not, you're going to find a satisfactory trade outcome now that you have more liquidity, you have more teams as part of that market, that the bid-ask spread on these things has gotten so much smaller. It's just going to be available more often. And that's why these trades are happening. The players themselves do not have more power. They do not have more leverage. Leverage would be the thing that they can impose. In the NBA, you have leverage. Let's think about maybe the most, you know, in, in recent memory, Anthony Davis is probably a player who really was able to impose his leverage upon uh, the New Orleans Pelicans and get out of there because what he can do with no franchise tag in the NBA, what he can do is say, I am not going to resign with you when I become a free agent another year in, in the future. And then that gives the team the heads up to say, we can either trade him now. And as long as they have, you know, two potential destinations where the player can go to, as long as they have those two different destinations, they can play off of each other and get a good return on that trade. But still they can say, we're going to trade that player now, or we're going to hold on to them. And we're just going to hope we're going to convince them when they're a free agent to come back here. But the player is already telling us that's not going to happen. And then again, in the NBA, that player has more power to decide his destination of where he's going to go because if he goes to a place he doesn't want to go, he'll just refuse to resign and then hit the free um, hit the free market. In the NFL, we had this thing called the franchise tag. And not every player is can be subject to the franchise tag if they've been tagged before. If a team has multiple players who they're going to use the franchise tag on, they can only use one per offseason. But the franchise tag exists. And when you can use as leverage from the team's standpoint to say hey even if you only have one year left on your contract and we're trading for you we're going to tag you and we're going to tag you again we're going to make you play three consecutive seasons without any financial guarantees without any financial security beyond the next 12 months at any point in time you have that leverage against the player for most players no matter how good you think you are, no matter how young you are, you know something bad can happen over that period of time. And you're going to say, I'm willing to negotiate. I'm willing to take the long-term contract. I'm willing to stay where I am. And of course, we largely see superstar players in the NFL stay where they are. Whenever a team wants to retain a player, they can always do that. What's happening in the NFL now it's not that Tyreek Hill says, I want to trade the, you know, the chiefs, they say they're willing to give him the contract that he deserves, but trust me, if they give him enough money, you know, he would have been perfectly fine staying in Kansas city there. 
But then they're given trade offers, which they're deciding to take. Getting a first-round pick and a second-round pick and then other mid-round picks for Tyreek Hill is a good deal for the Chiefs. Getting multiple picks for... Jamal Adams is a good deal for the was a good deal for the Jets. Getting multiple picks for Laramie Tunsil was a good deal for the Miami Dolphins, and so on and so forth. Um, these are not necessarily trades teams are being forced into by any kind of player leverage. What it is is the market has changed, and the market is making it more likely for players to be able to leave, and it's giving players access, better access to teams who are willing to give them top dollar, and because of that. The players are going to be in better situations, in particular in positions like wide receiver, which are highly coveted right now. The players are more likely to be hooked up with, to be assigned to, to be traded to a team that can afford to pay them top dollar because of where the rest of their salary cap situation lays out. So it's great for players. Don't get me wrong. This is great for players. It's happening. It's a fact. But the players themselves are not driving this by being more empowered. Instead, it's the market dynamics which are playing in the players' favor. Okay. Uh, And that all goes back to the fact of Kareem Hunt, I don't think he's going to be traded because no one's going to give enough for him. There's not going to be the liquidity there. There's not enough teams who are willing to trade away a lot for Kareem Hunt unless we have a situation where a running back goes down like we saw with Cam Akers next year. But anything short of trading away a day two pick is probably not going to be enough for the Browns to get rid of Kareem Hunt. So that's really the dynamic here. Kareem Hunt in and of himself does not have additional leverage or additional power because the running back position, the way it goes, there's just not going to be the offers out there that are going to match up. There's still not the liquidity in that type of market that we saw in the wide receiver market. Okay, before we get on to power rankings, uh, let's hit the last ad read of the day, and that is for Manscaped. Gentlemen, we all strive for gold in our life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He is a big, hairless, winning machine, and he unzips his pants. He sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand new premium package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on their top products. That's 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. It's time you enjoyed enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. All right. Here we go here. We are going to now get to the part that everyone will agree with 100% of the times. Um, That is power rankings in the NFL. Uh, What I'm going to do is I have look ahead betting lines. So we have look ahead lines basically for everything except for the Cleveland Browns that we don't know for most weeks what's going to end up happening. I think we're pretty certain that Deshaun Watts is not going to play the first six weeks. So there's some in there. There were some lines posted for a while, but I don't know how reliable those are for beyond the sixth week of the season, but we're kind of going to ignore the Browns as part of this exercise. We're going to assume they're just a flat average team and we're not going to have them affect too much what the market lines are for everyone else. But when we have these look ahead lines for everyone else, 
you can triangulate and get back and figure out how good each team is versus another team. Because if you have t- team A is favored over team B by five points, team B is favored over team C by five points, and then team A is favored over team C by what, you know, you can eventually figure out how each team matches up versus the other and how much they would be worth on a neutral field. And I got these numbers from anyone who follows whale capper on, uh, on the old Twitter bot there. He put together, he had these numbers that he sent out here. I made a couple little tweaks and adjustments to it for strength of schedule and other things. And that I put together my own power rankings based upon the markets. And then we're going to dig into those and figure out, do we believe what we're hearing here? Do we believe what we're getting from the markets or is our teams being undervalued or overvalued? But I think what you will see, and I'm a market evangelist a lot of the times here, is I think you have to give a lot of respect right up front to the markets here. And if the markets are telling you that a team is average, but yet you believe because of how well they've played in the playoffs last year, because of you know the signings they made during the offseason, because of the hype that they're getting on certain NFL shows, that they're a top five team, well... I would question your opinion first before questioning the market's opinion. Perhaps they're not an average team. Perhaps they're slightly above average, but there can be a big disconnect between perception and between markets in these measures. But this really helps sort us out because people are putting their cold, hard earned dollars into these markets to figure out which teams are actually the best in the NFL. So let me, let me bring up for you guys the spreadsheet I have here. Yes. Spreadsheet nerds unite. The spreadsheet we have here for all the different teams in the NFL with their power rankings based upon these look-ahead lines. So I'm going to start at the top. I'm going to work the way down. I'm going to discuss not only how they're ranked offensively, defensively, look at their strength of schedule, which is based upon all of these different what, what what's labeled what's labeled as over average. So in other words, the amount of points a team would be favored by versus an average team on a neutral field, okay? And then we have offense broken out, defense broken out, strength of schedule. And then I also have the 2021 numbers for their offense and defenses, their success rate first up front. And the reason I'm sticking with success rate is traditionally it's a little bit stickier than it is when you look at their actual expected points added per play offensive and defensively. But I also have those numbers. I also have those numbers that we can reference here. You can also see what the differences are between success rate and actual efficiency offensively and defensively for teams. And when we talk about the differences between success rate, so success rate is purely are you adding positive expected points on a play it's considered a success no matter how many uh no matter how much of an ad you're doing at that particular time and if defensively if you're if you're subtracting expected points from from that offense from the way you're playing then that's considered a success defensively now the the others are epa per play so what's going to give you let's say a higher epa per play offensively a better ranking than your success rate. So let's say a team has a average success rate and a top 10 EPA per play. What is generally happening there? I'll explain this here and then we'll go through some of the particulars later, but what's generally happening there? Well, there are three main factors that are driving a team that may not be as consistently successful, but is actually adding a lot of points, had results that were really good. Those three factors are turnovers, That's more of a defensive thing sometimes than an offensive thing. 
as far as teams that drive a lot of turnovers, typically turnovers are, are driven more by the offense than they are by the defense, but your collection of players that you're playing defensively changes all the time um, for the defense. And if you happen to get a bunch of turnovers, especially forced fumbles, then that can give you better efficiency than success rate if you're a defense and then worse efficiency than success rate if you're an offense and you're turning the ball over a lot. The second thing is explosive plays. So when you're just measuring plays in a success rate formula and you're saying anything that's positive is weighted the same, whether it is a five-yard run on first and 10 or if it's a 50-yard touchdown on first and 10, those are rated the same from a success rate perspective because there's stickiness to just looking at offenses who are successful and downweighting those outlier plays. But you know certain teams may be able to consistently make outlier plays, consistently be able to make explosive plays. So that plays into it. And the third thing is third and fourth down success. So success rate is going to treat first and second down success as the same as third down success, but those are much higher level, higher leverage situations. If you're adding expected points on third and five, that's going to add a lot more converting that than it will be, again, gaining five yards on first on first and ten. Both successes, one much, much, much bigger deal as far as how many actual expected points you're making, but it can be noisy, third and fourth down success. So those are the three factors that are going to go into differentiating between success rate and actual efficiency. I'll have both statistics at hand here when we're talking about the different teams. Again, it is turnovers, explosive plays, third and fourth down uh, success rate. Okay, so number one, NFL team according to the markets and the look ahead lines is the buffalo bills they are also the number one team in betting markets to make and win the super bowl and right now they are seen as being 6.1 points better than the average team on a neutral field and they're almost in a tier unto themselves because if you look at the second team here it's the kansas city chiefs at 5.1 And then the next team is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at five. So six, there's a full point differential going on there. They're seen as having the number one offensive ranking as far as offensive points you'd expect against a neutral team on a neutral field and number three defensively. And the key here that's bumping up their number when we look at, again, Super Bowl odds, odds of winning the AFC championship, odds of winning the division, all that stuff, is that they have the 15th hardest strength of schedule. So I'm going to talk about strength of schedule, like the number one strength of schedule, I'm going to say, is the worst in a way, the hardest strength of schedule. And that's actually the Kansas City Chiefs who come next. They have the, the hardest schedule in the NFL this year by who they're going to play. So the, the Bills are right middle of the pack. So that's not only are they seen as being the best team, you know, discounting schedule, but they also have a pretty lenient schedule, especially for a team that, you know, was a first place team last year and a division winner last year. So if you look at what they did last year in the offense, they were number two in success rate offensively, number two in defensive success rate. So right near the top, they were number two in offensive EPA per play and then number one in defensive success rates. They got a little bit more in the, they did a little bit better in third down play and limiting explosive plays than what even what their success rate was. Okay, so I'm talking about a bull or bear case for the Bills here. What are the upside downside cases here? It's it's tough to talk about upside when we're talking about a team, which I said here is in its own tier as being the best team in the NFL. But 
I think everything that leads into that assessment could probably be part of the upside case. You have Josh Allen coming back. He was on fire, obviously, to end last year. You don't you haven't lost any major pieces there. You've continued to be able to build in free agency and the draft around the talent that you have there, especially building on the on the back end there with the first round pick at cornerback. So I think all of that kind of fits into that bull case. And there's not as much to say there. So what's the bear case here for for the Bills? Well, I think you're going to hear me say this a few times when it comes to different teams, but any team that has a defense that's that's very highly ranked, and again, this is assuming the third best defense in the NFL this season after being around the second or first best defense in the NFL last season based upon their efficiency, there is just going to be less certainty that that's what's going to actually happen this year than what we've seen in the past. And I think there's also probably less certainty in the rest of the division that they're playing, which means that they could just completely run through that division and, you know, go 15 and two, 14 and three this year. But it also means uncertainty also means there's a little bit more downside that maybe some people aren't thinking about, because I think that the Patriots are uncertain because Mac Jones had what was an outstanding rookie year by the numbers, but people don't necessarily see him having access to going to even the next level uh, continuing forward. And I think maybe there's a higher chance, a possibility of that than some people give credit for. Let's remember during the second half of the regular season last year, some people thought that the Patriots had the bills number for a while there and they were neck and neck as far as who was going to win the division. So I think that's one thing is what, what may happen with new England. And then we go to Miami. We have a new offensive line being built there. We have Tyreek Hill there. We have Jalen Waddle entering a second season. We have the new head coach there in Mike McDaniel. So uncertainty there. And then the jets have been building, have been rebuilding now for a couple of years. And while there shouldn't be a ton of faith in what Zach Wilson is going to be able to do there, he again is more of an unknown as a quarterback there with all the different pieces, whether they've drafted or in free agency, they've drafted a ton of pieces on the offense there. If things come together for them there too, I think things could be a little bit more difficult for the Bills as to what will happen. Uh, I think I agree with them being the number one team in the NFL, but I'd have them a little bit closer to the next two teams which who make up the second tier here. So the second tier starts basically the the Bucks and the Chiefs are together in a tier here, although because of strength of schedule, because the Bucks are playing in the NFC South and are playing a generally mild schedule, uh, they don't have a lot to worry about schedule-wise. The 20th hardest schedule in the NFL, the Chiefs have the hardest schedule in the NFL. And that's why where if you look at markets for the Super Bowl, the Bucks are plus 750 to win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are plus 1,000. So the Chiefs are, if you want to think about it, 10 to 1. So 10% chance of winning the Super Bowl. And then the Bucks are, you know, one uh, 7.5 to 1. Uh, much, much bigger difference there between the two, even though the Chiefs are seen as being a better team because they have a harder schedule in that AFC West this year. Um, Poking through to the defensive rankings, I thought it was pretty interesting that the Bucks' defensive ranking is actually not that high. They were maybe worse than some people expected last season. They were 11th in their success rate last season as a defense, but they were third in their defensive EPA per play because of turnovers and because of the lack of explosive play. So I think that's something which, you know, it, it could start to equal out a little bit this season. I think 
Offensively, they still have them ranked pretty high here as the third best team in the league. I think there's some fragility there for the Bucks. I mentioned in another podcast how the offensive line is now going to have three new starters in the middle. And while those guys could gel and could be great, we all know how interior pressure has been Brady's Achilles heel in the past. And that adds some more uncertainty there. And the Chiefs, I don't know what to think about the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs have the uncertainty of not having Tyreek Hill this year, but I don't know how much it's going to affect them when they did bring in enough decent pieces in here for this season. I think I'm good with those two there. Um, Although I will say that the team that comes in fourth in the power rankings, the LA Rams, I think could be in that same tier with the Chiefs and the Bucks. So the Rams are fourth, 4.3 points on a neutral field. So I guess you would say in a different tier, in a tier with the, the Green Bay Packers next after that, but not that different from Tampa Bay and from Kansas City. Fourth as far as offense and defense, I'm sorry, fourth as far as offensive rank, eighth in defensive rank. Their issue, like the Chiefs, is strength of schedule. Second hardest schedule in the NFL, playing that first place schedule in the NFC West this year. If you look at their numbers last year, they were seventh in offensive success rate, 10th in defensive success rate. So that's coming off of a year where in 2020, the year before they were first in defensive success rate. So a little bit of a fall off there. And that'll be probably a really interesting dynamic this year is whether or not that defense can step back forward in 2022. And if you look at their actual EPA per play, it's pretty similar, seventh and sixth. Now, I think looking at some of the internals, for the Rams is important when figuring out who they are as a team, at least offensively, because again, I said that they had the seventh best offense in terms of efficiency and success rate. But if you look at their drop back numbers, so their passing numbers, they were second in success rate and in EPA per drop back running the ball. They were 24th in success rate and 30th. So third to last in actual efficiency running the ball. And that is, that's just bad. And what we saw consistently last year is they had the lead in a lot of games. So it didn't matter as much. I think what's important, though, when looking at this going forward is that they ran the ball. They continued to run the ball way too much, way too much in the playoffs when they continued. They just were not able to run it effectively, continued to do so, especially with Cam Akers, when they were not able to do that effectively. They continued to run the ball way too much during the regular season, despite the fact that that was not going well. And are they going to continue to do it this year if they're struggling? I think that's really the question for the Rams because drop back wise, Stafford was the most efficient quarterback in the NFL during the regular season. They brought in Allen Robinson, who I think will be an upgrade for that wide receiver two spot. And there's no real reason to think that they're going to get that much worse offensively. And if anything, they could even step to the next level for a year together of the Rams and Stafford. So the Rams would be a team that I think is really, are really sneaky, not necessarily 
you know, playoff odds or Super Bowl odds, something like that, because of the difficulty of their strength of schedule. But I think they're sneaky to potentially be the best team in the NFL this year if they can take a step forward again on defense and then lean a little bit more heavily on the pass here, despite the fact that I know Stafford had some, you know, for lack of a better word, brain farts in the second half of the season and some bad interceptions and turnovers that may have turned off McVay up for running the ball. Okay, next to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers are fifth here according to the market-based power rankings in the same tier with the Rams. They're seen as having the fifth best offensive ranking. So again, when you look at these teams here, one through five is also one through five in offensive rankings. Offense, offense wins championships, right? That's what they always say. And fourth defensively, 20, 22 as far as uh, strength of schedule. So they do not have a difficult schedule at all for the Packers. And they're really going to have to rely upon that that heavily. Okay, so they were sixth in offensive success rate in 2021, but they were 25th, so not very good at all, in defensive success rate. Yet they were 12th in defensive EPA per play. Now, some of that was weighted towards the beginning of the season where they got absolutely smoked by teams like the Saints on week one. So we can fade that a bit, but... I do think that shows some fragility there defensively that we may not be thinking about. I mean, everyone's penciling in the Packers for having a top three defense, like it's written in stone. We don't know that's going to happen. You have the receiver situation without Devontae Adams there. We don't know really what, what's going on there as far as how those targets will be filled with Alan Lazard or Romeo Dobbs, who's coming in now as a rookie or Christian Watson, if he ever gets healthy as a rookie. Uh, Randall Cobb is going to have to be out there running routes. It's going to be an interesting situation there. And the offensive line for them, Bakhtiari still is not back practicing. You have Elgin Jenkins, who is also not really fully back at this point there. So their two best offensive linemen are down. I think the Packers are more fragile than what this number shows here, but they've proven me wrong a couple of times in the past and could continue to do so this season. So they would be someone I'd probably be generally fading as the fifth best team in the NFL. Okay, next is the San Francisco 49ers, maybe a tier below the Packers, almost a point below the Packers in their neutral field spread number. Considered to have the 11th best offense by the projections, but number one in defense and about a middling strength of schedule. So that number one in defense, I think, is interesting. Supposedly, defense is playing really well in training camp. Trevarius Ward has been a star there coming over from the Kansas City Chiefs. But it was a team that was sixth in success rate last year and eighth in defensive EPA per play. Again, if I see a team where there is a projection for being the best team in the NFL, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be a little bit worried that it's not going to come through into fruition this season. And we also have Trey Lance here who... It's going to add some new elements to this team, but I think adds a lot of uncertainty. And so I kind of like the fact that they're only given the 11th best offensive rank here, despite the fact how well the offense has played with Jimmy Garoppolo, where, you know, they weren't fantastic last year. They're only 14th in success rate, ninth in efficiency, but still top 10 type of offense whenever Jimmy Garoppolo has played in the past. So at least we're assuming something that's going to be a little bit worse than that. Okay, Chargers are next at about three points better than an average team, sixth best offensive projection, 17th in defense, top 10 strength of schedule, but not quite as hard as the Chiefs. 
They were fourth in success rate offensively last year and in efficiency and defensively 28th and 23rd. So that defense is projected to get better, but not a whole lot better. I think there is upside potential here for the chargers just because of regression for that defense to get a lot better. And I also think people are not necessarily going to agree with it, but I like the fact that if we're talking about AFC teams here, according to the markets, again, don't, you know, throw your tomatoes at me necessarily, but according to the markets here, it's bills in the AFC strength. It's bills, chiefs, then all the way down to chargers being next. Now there's a huge gap there between the top two and the third team, but that's how it's being ranked here. I know they haven't made the playoffs with Justin Herbert, but it's not his fault for how that offense played. That offense played a lot better than a lot of playoff offenses played even better than the bills offense during the regular season. Now the bills went nuclear in the playoffs, but played even better than that bills offense in the regular season. Okay. So next after the chargers is we have the uh, Baltimore Ravens, 2.7 points. It's going to be hard to figure out what's going to go on with them this season. I don't know who Lamar Jackson is going to throw the ball to. And if we look at what happened with them last year, they weren't as bad as you might've thought 11th in, offensive success rate they just didn't have any explosive plays and I think that could again be a problem for them this year is that where are the explosive plays going to come from I really don't know it it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening there I'm not really sure where those explosive plays are going to come from this year but um, that's something that could be more of a grinded out type of team and if they continue they had so many injuries defensively last year they were 26th in their EPA per play, despite being eighth in success rate, they were giving up huge, huge plays over and over and over again on defense. So if they can just get back to that top 10 type of play there, I think that's going to help them quite a bit uh, going forward this season. And they don't have a tough schedule. It's 25th in difficulty of schedule. So all those things are going to play in Baltimore's favor. And again, Baltimore's probably a bit higher than what you would think for some other teams on here that people like better than the Ravens, even within the AFC North, like the Bengals. Okay, the Broncos are next. All of them are bunched up pretty tight. They are the ninth best team, according to the power rankings, 13th on offense, second on defense. We'll see how well that defense really comes together here. All the hype's going to be on Russell Wilson, but that defense is going to be dependent on pretty highly as far as what they're going to be able to do this season. Tough schedule, seventh toughest schedule in the NFL. Their offense will turn around this year. They had a below average offense, which hopefully they'll be able to turn around with Wilson there. The running game, though, wasn't very good, so we'll see if that goes forward. And they had about an average-ish sort of defense that we're, they're going to expecting to get much, much better this year. I really don't know what to do with the Broncos. I could go either way on them outperforming or underperforming what's going on here. I like to lean towards Russell Wilson being the Hall of Fame efficient type of player he's been during his entire career, not who he's been the last two seasons. But there are definitely some things that can go wrong uh, in Denver this season. Okay, next is the Cowboys at 10th here. And maybe I'll just group together the next tier here of the Cowboys, the Bengals, and the Colts. What's interesting about this tier is I would say Bengals fans, watchers, perception-wise, I know the, the fans always hate me, but I, you know, I'm going based a lot on the markets here, on what's happening here. And if you wanna if you wanna own the nerds and the markets and everyone else, you know, open up that uh, BetMGM account and get to work um, betting on the Bengals this year because they're begging you to do it by some of these uh, power ranking numbers here. The Bengals are 11th in the NFL here, 
And if you think about like who makes the playoffs, right? There are seven teams in each conference who make the playoffs. The Bengals are one, two, three, four, five. So they're sixth and almost equal to the seventh team of of the Colts and not too far away from the Tennessee Titans right below there. So it's not even a shoe in that they're going to make the playoffs. There's an interesting discussion with Sam Monson said his bold prediction was that the Bengals would not make the playoffs this year. Well, I mean, it's bold ish because of the perception, but if you go to, again, you go to betting markets right now, it's about plus plus one ten for them not making the playoffs. So minus 110 would be an even bet, right? Would be a 50-50 chance. So they're saying there's a 45-ish percent chance, maybe even a little bit higher, according to the markets right now, that the Bengals don't make the playoffs. It's almost a coin flip, whether or not the Bengals make the playoffs this year. And a lot of people would not suspect that because of the fact that they went to the Super Bowl last year. Um, offensively, you know, middling offensively. Again, something people would not expect. I think they, they might be kind of undervalued this year, though. I was a little bit on the Bengals being overvalued perception-wise last year. This year, I think they might be a little bit undervalued because of what they've done to secure the offensive line, and hopefully uh, Burrow's not going to take as many sacks, which killed him last year. But the thing that drove a lot of the offensive success for the Bengals was explosive plays. No one had more explosive plays, and no one had more efficiency being driven by explosive plays. Bengals were only 20th in the NFL in their success rate offensively, but they were 13th in their efficiency because of, we saw the Jamar Chase explosive plays, but even beyond that, they had some explosive runs and they had some also some plays with T Higgins that were, they were fairly explosive this year, last year. They have about middling, middle of the road defense. No one would have thought necessarily there last year that their defense was better than their offense, but according to the numbers, that was kind of the case. Uh, eighth strength of schedule. So it's somewhat difficult strength of schedule for them too. That's what another factor that may be keeping them out of the playoffs this year. If you look at Baltimore strength of schedule, 25th Cincinnati eighth, that's the punishment that you get as the, you know, as the team that go to go ahead and have a successful season one year and uh, win the division. Now you're stuck with the eighth hardest schedule versus Baltimore having the 25th hardest Dallas, not a whole lot to say here. Seventh offensive ranking, only 21st defensively. So they're expecting some fall off here from what we saw last year where they were fourth and third in their defensive efficiency. That one I think is pretty interesting. I'm, I, I want to actually go and check the numbers on that because their schedule is super easy. 28th out of 32 teams as far as how difficult their schedule is. And their success rate was really good offensively last year but against defenses that were not that difficult, not that difficult of a schedule. Now, those are some numbers I may need to check, actually, on some on some of the Dallas, Dallas here. I think Dallas is very fragile at wide receiver, and that scares me quite a bit. But obviously, they have some upside here. And the Colts, the Colts are one of those teams where people can never believe how high their probability is of winning, you know, something like winning the division. Every year, people are are wondering how could it be that the Colts are the favorites to win the division? They're actually minus money right now at bet MGM. They're minus 120 to win the division. The Titans are plus 160. Well, I mean, part of the reason that they're always seen as being so good is that the rest of the teams in the division are not very good. So again, the Titans 160, Jaguars plus 750. The Texans are 25 to one to win. So that that's part of it. And number two, I mean, even look at these these rankings here. They're 12th here in power ranking, yet they're the top team in their division. So every other division in the NFL 
has a team, most multiple teams from that division before we finally get to the Colts and the AFC South at 12th and their overall strength of schedule is 29th. So the, I guess that'd be the fourth easiest schedule in the NFL this season with Matt Ryan. there. not expecting big things offensively, a little bit better at 15th, middle of the road, ninth defensively. So a little bit of a step up there. Titans, I know Titans fans are, again, much aggrieved like Bengals fans are. And coming in at 13th here, despite having the best record in the AFC last year, is going to continue that feeling. They're seen as having basically middling offense and defense. They have a average-ish strength of schedule, which is not that hard, but it is hard for that division. And last year, they had a pretty good defense here they were eighth in success rate fifth in epa per play but the offense wasn't very good so then you get that offense turned around and not turn over the ball especially too much but they were doing like crazy i think that can make a a pretty huge difference uh for what we're going to see going going forward all right next arizona cardinals got the 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 fake news not fake news the noise that can be discounted of the week was the much shared tweet about cliff kingsbury telling kyler murray to call in the plays and you think this is so easy why don't you give it a try and everyone's pointing to that as some sort of dysfunction i mean let's just chill out here kyler murray's probably a pain in the ass you know that's fine and cliff kingsbury is like kind of fucking with him a little bit and like you know you're a pain in the ass you're always telling me that it's so easy to do what i do you're talking a lot of shit let's see you do it I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think people are making too big of a deal over the Arizona Cardinals stuff. And of course, it'll be one of those things where everyone gives themselves the out, where when the Cardinals are doing well midway through the season, everyone could say all this offseason hubbub uh, motivated them and got them fired up. And then so then if they don't play well, it's the, it's the exact opposite. We knew the culture was horrible during the offseason and then they fell apart. Well, you know, the markets are not very high on them generally for a team that started off, was it 8-0 last season? Um, they are 14th middle of the league defense is really the problem though. And their projection 25th defensively top 10 offensively. So again, Kyler played pretty well, especially passing the ball last year that people are not necessarily giving credit for third, most difficult schedule in the NFL. That is not going to help. They were eighth in offensive success rate and efficiency last year, uh, 17th in defensive success rate, 11th in efficiency. So yeah, I mean, I think the Cardinals have some 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 upside here, but man, third most difficult schedule is really going to hurt them. And again, I'm kind of high on the Rams too. So that's going to make things difficult, I think, for the Cardinals. Minnesota at 15th. And again, what's interesting about Minnesota is if you talk about enthusiasm around your team, I mean, the Raiders are down at 19th versus Minnesota at 15th. The teams that are above them, like Tennessee is at 13th. And again, the Bengals are at 11th. So not too far away from Minnesota. We're talking about less than a point differential between the two of them as the assumption on a neutral field against an average team, what they would score. Miami, people are somewhat excited about Miami and their lower. Is anyone excited about the Vikings this year? Especially considering the fact that the Packers are maybe a little bit wounded. I've heard some people be excited about the Lions this year because of the fact that the Packers may be overvalued, but no one's really excited about Minnesota new coach. I know it's Kirk cousins. I know, I know. Um, but they're bringing a new coach, new system. Perhaps they're going to pass it a bit more this year. 
just uh, Justin Jefferson perhaps taking the game to the new level. Hey, it's not great, and it's kind of very Kirk Kirk Cousins to have them as being the 15th best-ranked team right smack in the middle, but it could be worse. It could be worse for them. And I think, again, if we're talking about chances of making the playoffs versus some of these other teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect, I think it's probably a little bit better than than what some others might might think for them this year. And, you know, th- that can help. They're plus 280 to win the division. Isn't, isn't the worst that I've seen there. I might sprinkle a little bit on there for, for, for the Vikings. And again, with this Kirk Cousins disrespect, he seems to be always the guy who gets like an honorable mention in these different top 10 rankings where he's maybe 13th or 14th of quarterbacks. He's below Derek Carr now in a lot of these measures. I mean, 12th best offense they're projecting here. Although they do have 10th best offense for the uh, for the Raiders. So they're they're high on the Raiders too here too, but not bad. Not not bad for, for cousins here. Um, positives would be an easy schedule. The negatives would be they had a lot of explosive plays last year that they prevented or scored on offense. And whether that will continue, I don't know. Dolphins, despite all the additions, we're looking at the 16th best team in the NFL by the markets tied with I guess it's a four-way tie here, basically, with the Patriots, the Eagles, and the Raiders. What they have going for them is a middling schedule, I guess, but pretty pretty average-ish on both different counts there. 13th in success rate last year offensively, so pretty good. 20, I'm sorry, 28th in success rate off, uh, offensively, so so not, not so good there. And then if you look at what they did from a efficiency standpoint, 23rd. So that's what they're going to need to get better on, a lot better on, is on the offensive side of the ball. If Tariq Hill is going to get them there, I'm not sure. But I mentioned on a pod last week, and I think this could carry forward, is that we could have an Alex Smith-ish sort of deep ball passing jump for Tua if they can get some help from the offensive line with Tyreek Hill there. Because receivers even more so than quarterbacks really control the average depth of target for, for offenses. There are just very few quarterbacks who will go past it, who will say whether this receiver is open or not, I'm going to be able to throw without even having to have anticipation and have the arm to be able to make those sorts of throws. Now Tyreek Hill is a player who can get open so confidently you are of him getting open so often that even a player like Alex Smith jumped up to being, I think it was second or third in the NFL in 2017 in his deep passing uh, value add. And he was the most efficient deep passer that season. I'm not saying you're gonna, that Tua is going to become the most efficient deep passer, but I think it helps a lot having Tyreek Hill there this season. Okay, the Patriots, all the way down at 17th. Again, with about three, four weeks left in the NFL season last year, they were seen as being this team that maybe nobody wanted to play, perhaps better than the Bills, going to win the division. Now all the way down at 17th this year. I think this 20th ranking for their offense is way too low, in my opinion. I'm higher on Mac Jones just based upon the fact that he had really, really good numbers as a rookie. Say what you will about his upside or anything like that. The numbers were very, very solid uh, last year. Not a hard 
not the hardest strength of schedule, not the best either at 11th. And then you go into, again, offensively, they were 10th in their success rate, 11th in efficiency offensively. And then their assumption this year is that they're going to be uh, 20th offensively. I'd, I'd step that up a bit. I don't think they didn't make any big additions, obviously. But guys like Devontae Parker, who knows? He may actually bring a little bit of something to the offense. They've been able to run the ball pretty well. Maybe they lean against that a little bit. And I just think it's funny where we're so hyper-focused on traits for quarterbacks nowadays. Yet when I was doing this series on the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and we're going through them, you know, we have at the top Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. You know, not the worst guys from a trait perspective, but their best traits for those two, at least initially later on in their career, Brady seemed to magically get a stronger arm, but the, the best traits for them might just be the fact they're six, five. When we talk about being a quarterback, those guys near the top, you also had, you know, Joe Montana wasn't exactly a traits guy. He was very high up there at the top. Drew Brees was pretty high up there. He's not exactly a traits guy also. So lots and lots of guys who've been successful in the best of the all time in the NFL have now really been pushed aside with this focus on the athletic quarterback. So maybe we shouldn't throw Mac Jones's season aside quite as, as quickly as we're willing to, you know, the pocket passers like a Brady, like a Matt Ryan and others can still be successful in the NFL. Um, I don't have a lot to say about Philly and the Raiders other than their fan bases or, somewhat excited about what they're going to do this year. And then they clock in at 18th and 19th in the rankings and the Eagles, their one thing to highlight would be watching for both teams. I think the thing to highlight is strength of schedule Eagles, easiest schedule in the NFL playing in the NFC East. So that's going to be nice for them. That's really going to help their ability despite being a below average ish to average ish sort of team that's going to help them get into the playoffs and have a chance to, to make it. And then who knows, maybe get lucky in the playoffs Raiders fall on the exact opposite flip side of the coin, fourth, most difficult schedule in the NFL. And if you're going to look at whether or not you think that they are going to make the playoffs this year, again, it, it, there's a lot tied into uh, Devonte Adams this year. There's a lot tied into a new contract for, for Derek Carr and you start to pull in all these different things. And then you look up and you say right now they're make the playoffs as plus plus one sixty. So in order for you to, if, if you would make money, I think it's the best way to put it. So if you bet them at plus one sixty, so you bet the Raiders at plus one sixty to make the playoffs. The implied odds there are 38.5%. So as long as they have a better than a 38.5% chance at making the playoffs, you make money. That's not very confident for a team that went that far in. Again, on Devontae Adams, who's going to be you know, 29, 30 years old, on Derek Carr and everyone else this year. Could be, could, 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 could be a tough year. Could be a tough year for Vegas fans if things do not go according to plan with uh, all the different pieces coming together and the schedule they're going to have to face this year. Uh, New Orleans is semi in on this year. I was surprised that they're a little bit low here. They're 21st in their ranking, sixth defensively, 21st offensively. I guess there's been some news today that Jameis Winston tweaked his ankle, so I'm not sure what that means. I'm generally high on Jameis. I love Jameis for some reason. Uh, middling schedule. I probably see them as being a little bit better team than this. Washington 
22nd. I think this has fallen a little bit since we put this together. The negative news on Carson Wentz in camp is something where I'm not really sure whether to to buy or to fade it. I mean, they have the second easiest schedule in the NFL, so that helps. But I feel like Carson Wentz is one of those players where if you're going strictly off of what you're going to see on social media with him, because of the selection bias of what people are willing to share and it confirms what they already think, nothing nothing moves, nothing sells, nothing is hotter on the internet streets than a good low light of Carson Wentz in a video or a low light of him text-wise for what happened during training camp of him being inaccurate or throwing the ball behind the receivers or everything else. Those things are going to move. That's how you're selling. That's if you're, if you're engagement hunting out there on the internet, Twitter streets, you want to be putting out low lights for Carson Wentz. So for that reason, Hey, I'm not a believer in this guy, but I think it's possible. And again, they're still going to have the 22nd best offense in the NFL, so not not great, but you know, not god awful. Um, but it's it's possible that they could be a little bit better than what you might think. And I mean, thinking about it, you know, I just said that the Raiders were. Well, let me look at what the Raiders were again. But the Raiders were plus 160 to make the playoffs, right? The good old commanders, command on commanders, are plus 150. So they're even, they even have shorter odds. So they're more likely to make the playoffs this year because of the very, very easy schedule and playing in the NFC than even a team like the Raiders are this year. Hey, things can happen. 40% chance of making the playoffs for, for the good old commanders. That could heal some wounds as far as people thinking about Carson Wentz. Uh, Steelers down at 23rd. Not a whole lot to say here. I'm surprised to see 16th defensively here. I'm going to have to check that number. Sixth hardest schedule in the NFL. That's really going to hurt. Trubisky is getting a whole bunch of bad press. Now, maybe I'm a confirmation bias guy here, but I'm kind of buying that that he's bad because he's been bad in the past. He had 2018 where he had some efficiency from an EPA per play standard. But other than that, the guy's been bottom eight ish sort of quarterback for PFF grading every single year. It would not surprise me if he continued to be awful and they're going to have a hard schedule this year. Uh, Panthers. Is there much to say about the Panthers? I guess Baker Mayfield's going to be there. So that's not helping them get that much higher offensively. They're still 29th, which I'm Maybe they can get a little bump there as Baker Mayfield comes back. And the rest of the teams, the rest of the way, is there anyone that's that interesting? I guess the Lions are maybe the only team that I'll hit on here because they are the favorite for football media right now. They are like the Chargers if the Chargers were a bad team and all the NFL media decided to jump on the bandwagon for a bad team. I mean, things they have going for them, 27th in strength of schedule, so a pretty easy schedule. Uh, but they're seen as being 30th defensively, 24th offensively. Last year, if you look at the numbers, actually 17th in offensive success rate, so not that bad, but no explosive plays, 24th. So maybe they can get some more explosive plays this year with DJ Chark uh, there, Jamison Williams there. 29th and 32nd, though, as far as defensive success rate and efficiency, dead last in defensive efficiency. So I guess you can only really go up from there. I mean, I think I agree with the media types who believe that Detroit shouldn't be 30th 
Um, it shouldn't be in the same ballpark as the Jaguars and the Bears and worse than the Giants and the Seahawks as far as our perception of them. I guess perhaps my contrarian nature, though, is getting the best of me here that I reflexively am pushing a little bit against the overall hype here. But looking strictly at the numbers, I agree with those hyping up the Lions, and we've yet to see these numbers move. So if you wanted to go with them to potentially win the division, that could be an interesting bet. But, you know, winning the division, overs, things like that, generally I would say, you know what, just go ahead and bet on them the first few weeks of the season. You can turn over your capital a lot more quickly that way. So if you are a Lions believer, like a lot of the people here seem to be, you can say Lions plus four at home against the Eagles, Lions plus one and a half at home against the Commanders, you know, Lions plus six and a half at the Vikings. You can just go ahead and start playing some of these things. Minus one against the Seahawks. Just just start playing. Just start playing some of those first few weeks if you wanted to. Uh, the markets won't catch up for a little bit on that. And that could be a better way of putting a little bit more of your capital at work if you wanted to invest in the Lions this year, which, again, I think you can do. But part of me, I'll be honest, wants to see them struggle a bit because so many people are on them are on them this year. But the bar is very, very low for the Lions. All right. I hope everyone enjoyed this wrap-up, this very market-based, numbers-based, quantitative wrap-up of what's going on in the NFL and the power rankings for this year. I will say go ahead, rate and review the pod if you enjoyed what you heard here. And I'll also say that we're going to have more Unexpected Points coming at you next week. Uh, I'm going to have a guest and a normal show. And then later this week, we're going to have Josh Hermsmeyer back on the pod. We have bold predictions for the NFL, but our predictions are not going to be these ones that only have a 10% chance of hitting something like that. It's going to be more, you know, something you would bet at plus 150 or something like that. So let's say, you know, 40% chance. We have to figure out it's better than a 40% chance of, of hitting, but so it won't just be your standard 50-50 sort of, of, of prediction, but it's going to be something exciting, something with some spice, something that a lot of people are not thinking about this year, and no better person to talk about boldness and predictions and have the unexpected than Josh Hermsmeyer later this week. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I'll be talking at everyone then. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.